0: Well, I don't know how much Bible study you all do. Some of you probably enjoy it more than others, but hopefully you do more than just occasionally reading random portions of the Bible. I know when I was a teenager, uh, every now and then I'd dust off my old Bible because this was before smartphones and there was no such thing as digital Bibles. So I dust off my Bible, and I just kind of flip it open and be like, all right, Lord, I, I trust you enough that wherever I open, I'm going to read something amazing. And it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes you'd open to Leviticus, and you're like, all right, I don't know what you're trying to say here, Lord, but uh, that's not the kind of walk the Lord is calling us to. Actually, I hope you do more than even just read it every day. Uh, Some of us, we've gotten to that point where we read the Word of God every day, um, every morning, whatever that time of day is for you that you read the Word of God. But let me just say that's not the bar um, that I hope that you've set for your Christian walk. To fully understand and appreciate the Word of God, we actually have to put some work into it. We actually have to do some study because uh, I don't know about many of you, but you probably don't speak fluent Greek and Hebrew, um, so you can't really dig into the Scriptures and the original languages, and you're not uh, intimately familiar with the cultures and the times of, of where each book of the Bible was written. And um, So there's a, there's a big gap in knowledge in a lot of these places, and by, by no means do I think that the Lord is limited by those things, but man... Is it rich when we dig into the Word of God and we begin to learn certain things? And um, you know, even just thinking of communion. When I learned the, that concept, that uh, in Bible times that nobody shared a meal with somebody unless they were willing to cancel debt. That that was a legal transaction, in, in community was to share a meal with somebody, and it would erase any debt that existed, and you were no longer allowed to bring it up. And so uh, that communion that we the the reality that we share that regularly as a church means there should never be stuff on our accounts and just the genius of god doing that i wouldn't know that unless i did extra study to learn the culture to learn those kind of things that's what you pull out in bible study whenever you're reading a book of the bible it's very helpful to know a few facts about the book before you begin to read it. I don't know how much you do of that. Um, If you are someone who reads the Bible through every year, um, do you take the time before you jump into a new book of the Bible to kind of reorient yourself and say, okay, what am I reading? Um, And there are, uh, I would say, four pretty important facts that I would encourage you to know about any book of the Bible that you're reading. If you're going to read it, if you're going to go through a book of the Bible, there's four specific facts that I I think are vital to truly understanding and appreciating any book of the Bible. The first one would be the author. Who is the author of the book you are reading? Um, Do we know for sure who the author is, or is it a disputed book of the Bible? Because there are books of the Bible that even though they say this is written by so-and-so, some people would dispute whether or not it was actually written by so-and-so. so and so so, if you don't know, our, our series, New Life, is a study through the book of Colossians. So, uh, what I want to do is I want to look at a couple facts of the book of Colossians this morning, and then, um, so I don't know how many of you were able to read through Colossians every day this week, but you get a second week to do it, because we're only going to get halfway through Colossians chapter 1 this morning. Um, So do we know for sure who wrote Colossians? Well, Paul is generally accepted as the author of Colossians. It even opens up and says uh, that Paul wrote it. But there is some doubt from some Bible scholars that say, I don't know, I'm not sure that it definitely was written by Paul. Um, But just so you know, generally speaking, most people would accept that Paul did write uh, Colossians. So that's the first one. Know who the author is. The second would be the occasion. Um, What is the occasion of the writing of the book um this isn't why the book was written this in bible college you know we did uh, a fancy class called biblical hermeneutics which is a fancy word for bible study uh, you know you go to college you pay a lot of money so they have to make everything sound fancier um, so they can't just call it bible study so they call it biblical hermeneutics and i i struggled with this at first trying to understand what's the difference between occasion and purpose uh but when I understood the basic who, what, where, when, why, it makes it a lot easier. Uh, this occasion isn't the why of the book was written, but the what. The what was happening in the community and the world when the book was written. What are the circumstances? What's the occasion that it's being written around? Uh, Colossians uh, the Colossian church was a young church it was a very uh, relatively new church and it was full of mostly or maybe all Gentiles which if you don't understand uh, the nice Christianese of Gentile it basically means they weren't Jewish Uh, they either didn't don't have Jewish heritage or they didn't grow up in Judaism so they're Gentiles. Uh, The Colossian church, like many of the early churches, was being frustrated by false teachers. Um, Many of the epistles that we read in the New Testament are a response to false teaching or heresy trying to creep into the church. It didn't take uh, long at all for the enemy to attack churches by trying to infiltrate them with people who preached something of the gospel but tainted it with their own spin on it. See, that's the thing is sometimes we think like, oh, it's going to be so easy to see false teaching because it's going to be directly against the word of god but the enemy is really smart he will fill it with 99 percent truth and just spin it with that one percent falsehood and it's still not the gospel when he does that and so um, that's a little bit of what's happening in the colossian church uh particularly in colossae uh, which is the town they were trying to mix pagan practices with the concepts of christianity uh if you uh or somebody who follows missions, and you uh, you know, hear about what God is doing across the world, it's very, very common for when Christianity comes into a new people group, they might accept it with open arms, but it's not long before they try to mix what they were doing into Christianity, and they try to meld it and say, like, oh, this Jesus guy is really great, so let's mix what we were doing and try to make it, like, Christian pagan worship, and it doesn't work that way. And so there's, there's a lot of work that uh, international workers have to do. Uh, a lot of times when, when the gospel comes into a new people group of helping them understand, these pagan practices just, they don't, they, they're not congruent with Jesus. You got to give that stuff up and accept Jesus for who he is. And that can be really tricky because some of the things are cultural. They're not necessarily pagan practice, but it's not how we would do it. And so uh, it can get pretty messy. And so that's kind of the occasion of when Paul writes this letter uh, to the Colossian church. Now, the third thing would be the purpose. Uh, Remember, the uh, occasion is the what, what is happening at that current time. The purpose is different than the occasion because it explains exactly why the book was written. Not just what's happening, but why the book was written. Uh, While the occasion explains current events and what is going on, um, the purpose explains the author's response to these events and what they hope to accomplish through the book, or again, the why. So what's Paul's purpose in writing the letter to the Colossians? The purpose of Colossians is to point to the centrality of Christ. If you look at Colossians as a whole, um, there's a lot of language and a lot of what Paul is talking about. It's all to point to Christ being the center. Paul wants the believers in Colossae to understand their standing in their new life in Christ because uh, there's some Judaism people uh, trying to fit that into the uh, Colossian church and trying to remind them like, okay, yeah, you might have accepted Jesus, but you're still not... Jewish, So you don't have, like, full access to Jesus, and Paul is trying to combat that, obviously, uh, and help them understand, as a Christian, we have all the rights and privileges that anybody has, because there is no such thing as, like, a Christian plus. There's no, like, levels of Christianity. It's just you know Jesus or you don't. Paul is also seeking to show how inferior any other religion is uh, to one devoted to Jesus. And uh, the way that Paul is attempting to do this, uh, to refute these false religions, is not by pointing to every fault in those religions, but by exalting Christ as the genuine article. Uh, and I think there's a lot of truth to take from that. Uh, one of the things that you can learn from, uh, especially Paul's defense of the gospel, is whenever you're dealing with somebody who's trying to uh, argue like, their religion or their weird ideas um, versus Jesus, it's very easy to get caught into the trap and trying to pick every little piece out of what's wrong with their uh, theology or what their understanding instead of focusing on Jesus. And saying, "Well, this is why I believe in Jesus as the genuine article," and we focus because it's easy to get caught up in the in the fraud, the fake. But it's so much easier to, to study the genuine article. It's one of those things I know I've I've talked about in the past. I learned about um, people who deal with like false currency and, and those kind of things, counterfeit. Um, they don't spend a lot of time. They do spend some time, but not uh, the largest portion of their time is not spent studying all of the f- uh, fraudulent ways. But they spend a lot of time becoming intimately familiar with the genuine article so that if they just were to hold something that wasn't genuine, they could feel it right away because they've spent so much time studying the genuine article. And that, to me, is uh, a great point in our faith in Jesus is if we want to be able to talk to somebody about their false religion, um, it's not that we should spend more time studying that, but that we need to spend a lot of time with Jesus so that it becomes so so easy to recognize uh, a fake when it comes by. So, author, occasion, purpose, and the last one is the date and the place of writing, um, to understand both of those things together. The date and the place of writing can add a lot of perspective to a book of the Bible as well. Um, Most people don't know this. I know some of you, it was like a shocker last year when we did the chronological Bible read-through that most likely the first book of the Bible that was actually penned was Job. Yeah, most people think, well, Genesis. Genesis. It's the first book in the Bible, and it talks about creation, but the first book probably ever actually written was Job. Um, So it's interesting to know that, to know the date and the place of writing. Uh, Colossians, if you don't know, is one of the four letters generally grouped together called the prison epistles. Uh, They were the ones written during Paul's time in prison. Um, Philemon, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are generally called the prison epistles, Uh, Very likely, Colossians was written somewhere between fifty-two and fifty-six A.D. While Paul was in prison in Rome, or possibly in Ephesus, Paul Paul spent a lot of time in prison. Uh, So it's hard to sometimes nail down when he says, "Oh, I'm here in prison writing something." Um, He's he's been in there a little bit. Um, He was kind of a you know he had some frequent flyer miles. Uh, in prison, and so they think it's probably when he was in Rome or or Ephesus that he wrote this. But just to know that Colossians is written from a prison cell—that's where Paul penned some of his letters to the churches. So it's not as if Paul is in some ivory tower and living in luxury and looking back on you know his uh, very short, because at this point it's a pr- relatively short ministry time yet yeah, Jesus. Just died somewhere around the 33, 35 uh, uh, time frame, or 30 to 35, depending on your view of history. Um, So it's only been about 20 years since Jesus uh, uh, died. And so Paul has not been in ministry his whole life or anything like that, but he's writing from prison. He's being currently persecuted as he writes to the Colossian church. How many of you took the opportunity to watch the Bible Project video for Colossians? You don't need to raise your hand. Hopefully you did. If you didn't, do it this week. Um, just Google Bible Project, and then once you're on there, watch the video for Colossians. It's an easy way to get like a five-minute overview of an entire book of the Bible. Um, I love that they do that, and they do it in such a good way um, that they explains really well uh, what's happening in a book. So uh, I encourage you to do that. But Now that we have some of the general information, uh, I feel like you can't really do a a good Bible study until you have some of that information in your mind. Um, Let's jump into the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter one, verses one to two says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. It's a pretty typical greeting, um, not as typical for Paul, which is one of the reasons why some people say, well, maybe it wasn't exactly Paul because he starts a lot of his letters in a very specific way, um, but it's a pretty typical greeting for a letter of this time. Most of, um, most of us, well, some of us probably, we used to write letters. Um, now we just email people or shoot them texts or whatever, but when you write a letter, generally you don't say, hi, this is Bruce. And then you start writing the letter. Usually you write the letter and then you say, sincerely, Bruce. Um, But back in that day, they generally did their introduction of who was writing it at the very beginning. Paul is making sure to remind his readers as well of his authority. So, uh, there's a lot of conflict in the early churches of who has an authority to speak. Because, remember, there's no set structure. It's not like the church got off the ground and day one they were like, okay, we're going to be an elder-led structure and we're going to have district supervisors over the districts here and there. There was none of that. And so Paul seeks to remind his readers, hey, don't forget, I'm an apostle called by God. That's who I am. I come under his authority, and when I write and speak to you, I come with the authority of God behind me. Paul's also making it clear that his letter is to the believers in the Colossian church. This is specifically meant for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Moving on, verses 3 to 5. It says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. So interesting to note, Paul has never been to this church. Paul did a lot of traveling and he visited a lot of churches and he has been through the town of Colossae But that church didn't exist when Paul went through that town. It's that new that even when Paul was there, there wasn't a church yet uh, in that town. So Paul's never met this church. He's probably met some of the people that are in the church, some of the believers that were present in the town, but he doesn't know the church. And so he's only heard reports about it from his coworkers and from other people who have been there. Uh, But the reports that Paul has gotten from uh, those who have either been there in the church or know of the church have been encouraging reports. And so it led me to a question as I was preparing this and, and reading through this. I just thought, what are we proud of in regards to our church? If somebody were to ask you, hey, what church do you go to? I go to Dubois Alliance Church. What do you like about that church? What's good about Dubois Alliance? What would you say? Now, you don't have to yell it out right now. I, I heard someone starting to yell something out. but uh, I just want you to think about, like, what would be the first thing you'd comment on? Or maybe what are the top three things you would comment about your church, about your church family? And I want you to think about that for a second because I want you to also think about what would someone... Maybe who comes in for their first time, or someone who's only been here for a few weeks, what would they mention? What would they notice about our church? How, how many things would they have to attend, or how deep would they have to get into the family before they'd acknowledge the things that you might talk about? So you might say, like, "Oh, um, one of the things I love about our church is the fellowship. How long would it take somebody who's new to break into that? Would they know it the first week? Would it take them a month? Would it take them a year before they were welcomed in and invited to your home or that they felt like, man, this is my church, this is my family. So first, what would you be encouraged by? What, What things are you most encouraged about our church about? But then also, how long would it take somebody who's new to experience that? to appreciate it as well. Uh, and I ask those questions because I think uh, it's, it's telling. If it would take somebody a year to truly appreciate the things that you think are the best parts of who we are, then my argument might be that we're doing something wrong because it shouldn't take someone that long. If it's that important, then it should be just a, a regular part uh, of that person's DNA. If, if most of you, um, well, a lot of us are married, we have spouses, um, probably some of your favorite things about them, um, you were able to pick up on that pretty quickly. That relationship is, oh, they have a good sense of humor, they're fun, they're, they're very smart, uh, those kind of things. Um, that's easy to notice those things if you spend a little bit of time around them. And so I would hope that the most significant parts of our DNA are... Very easy to notice because we live them out regularly. So uh, I want us to think about that. But I think it's also interesting to note that Paul doesn't encourage their great systems or strategy. Notice the things that Paul does encourage. He doesn't compliment their great worship, music, or their, their great kids' ministries. That's not what Paul encourages them in regards to. He doesn't congratulate their great attendance, or their spectacular sermons, Paul acknowledges their faith in Christ Jesus, their love for all of God's people, which flows from the hope they have in God. Notice that. I think for me, um, the way my brain works, if you were to ask me, like, what's the greatest thing about Bois Alliance? I'm going to start thinking programs and, like, structure and strategy right away. Those are the things I'm going to talk about. And yet that's not at all what Paul talks about. My guess is behind the scenes, Paul seems to, he's pretty sharp and he started churches. He's birthed so many churches. He traveled around. He's seen so much. He's probably the expert in church strategy. He's probably really good at it. And yet that's not what he's excited about. What he's excited about is, in my argument, the most important things about a church family their faith in Christ Jesus, their love for all of God's people, and that all of this flows from the hope they have in God. Now, if you know anything about Paul, do you notice the three th- themes here that he uses elsewhere in some of his writings? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is? Okay, so you've heard some of Paul's writings. He uses these three more than once in, in his writings. He does focus on faith Hope and love. Does everything that we experience come from our hope in Jesus Christ? Or does it flow from obligation? Does it flow from a, a mental understanding? Does it flow from something else? Or does what we experience here flow from a hope in Jesus Christ? Moving on to verse 6. Uh, this same good news that came to you is going out over, all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Paul is a missionary at heart. And the way he thinks, the way he acts, he's just a missionary at heart. And he ensures that the Colossian church have a worldwide gospel focus. He's encouraging them But he also encourages them, just so you know, this is happening all over the world, he's saying. Everywhere the gospel goes, it changes lives. It's also encouraging for the Colossian church to know that they're part of something bigger. They're part of something that's not just happening in the Colossian region, but it's happening all over the world that this God that they worship, that they serve, that their hope is in, man, he is, he is moving everywhere. It's happening all over the place. And so it's both humbling and encouraging what Paul is saying to them here. It's, hey, don't think that you're this like, special gem that you know God's just doing this unique work and that you're the best thing that's ever happened to the world. But also know that what is happening in you is happening all over. Everywhere this gospel goes, it's changing lives. It's exhilarating to be a part of something like that. Verses 7 and 8. It says, you learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Uh, if you're interested in the uh, a correct pronunciation, it's Epaphras, but I'm not doing that. So um, it's Epaphras, because that's how I've been saying it my whole life, and I'm going to keep going with it. Uh, but Epaphras is the missionary who preached the good news to the Colossian church. Um, that's, if you, you've probably, if you've read Paul's uh, letters before, you've seen this name pop up because he's one of uh, Paul's coworkers. He's somebody who's works closely with Paul, that Paul has a good relationship with. Um, but one thing you might not know is that Epaphras is actually from Colossae. He is a Colossian. So this is where he grew up. This is where he's from. And so naturally, this is also where he birthed the church. Uh, we don't know if it's the first church that he started. We do know that uh, Epaphras has started multiple churches. Um, that's one of the things. He's kind of like a mini Paul. Uh, he's definitely was discipled by Paul, um, but he is the one responsible for raising up the church in Colossae. So um, that's interesting to note. Have you ever considered how far reaching your work for the gospel may go. You got this guy, uh, we don't know any uh, much about him. We don't know if he's well-schooled or anything like that. We also know um, from Jesus's own mouth that to have ministry in the place you grew up is, is extra difficult because people know you. They know your stuff. They know your background. They know all of that. And yet, this is somewhere that Uh, epaphras starts a church and has this awesome ministry of uh, what seems to be a very encouraging church plant and church start um, that he he's god accomplishes through him and so you never know what god might call you to my guess is uh epaphras didn't grow up thinking i'm going to start a church someday for jesus because he probably didn't even know who he was but he takes this man who We don't know how recently he's converted, but he builds an entire church from him, and so because of him, we have a church there, and we also have uh, the book of Colossians, so um, his his reach goes so far beyond what he probably could have ever imagined. Notice also that Paul doesn't commend their love for others. Rather, it's the love of that the Holy Spirit has given them for other people. And I've had this conversation with people before of like, well, you just don't understand. There's no way I can get along with that person. There's no way I can love that person or them or those people. That's okay. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to put on the love of God for other people. The Holy Spirit gives us his love. That's why it's called fruit of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. All of those are from the Holy Spirit. I always thought I had to do better at mine. And God made it very clear, no, 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 yours will never be good enough. You just need to put on the Holy Spirit. And as he loves people through us, that's what changes lives as he works through us. We're not called to love other people better. And unfortunately, that's why we constantly fail at things because we're trying to do us better. We're trying to do our love better. We're trying to improve our patience better and do better at that instead of submitting to the Holy Spirit and saying, you know what? I just do not have what it takes for this. And as he works through us, we start to see, oh, wow, that was way better than mine. That was way better than my patience, my love. Verse 9, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul is praying. The fact that Paul prays for complete knowledge communicates that there is something more to learn. I think it's good because uh, if you understand the false religions of the time, there was this idea that if if you you get this secret knowledge and then you transcend into another plane of existence and you can have this and you basically can arrive at this place um, just by knowing one factor, gaining this small amount of understanding. And Paul is making it very clear that this is a journey. This is a lifelong journey that this completeness, he, he, he's just a blanket statement. He doesn't know any of them personally. Uh, he might have met them, but Paul's not there in their midst, but he makes it clear none of you have complete understanding because my prayer is that you will someday have it. Um but there's always more to learn about Jesus. There's always more understanding to gain. He's communicating to Colossian church that they have not arrived at this great uh, transcendent position where they can now sit back and, and know that they are superior to all other people around. They don't have a complete knowledge of God or of His will. Noting uh, another group of three that Paul uses, this is a theme of Paul's if you don't know, Knowledge, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. Paul likes threes. He likes to break things into threes. Uh, But Paul is asking God to give them these three things, knowledge, spiritual wisdom, and understanding, because if they have them, he's saying, then he continues in verse 10, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. See, it's so common for us when we're messing up, when we're not getting it right, we immediately begin to think of behavior modification. What do I need to do differently to please God? What do I need to do in order to get this, uh, get my life in order or, or to change in order to make God happier? Um, as a parent, I, I acknowledge this when well, I seldom correct Killian, and by seldom I mean every hour, um, but when I correct him, my, my goal isn't behavior modification, but it's if he just understood the concept, then he wouldn't do what he's doing. I know both Jackie and I sometimes say, why? Why are you doing that? Why are you choosing to lick the window? Like, I'm not understanding why, because if you understood how many germs are on that window... Uh, you wouldn't lick it. It's not behavior modification. It's if you would just learn more about germs, then you wouldn't want to roll on the floor um, in you know the grocery store because it's dirty and it's gross. And so if you knew more, then you wouldn't do that. Um, we sometimes uh, we settle for behavior modification by just get off the floor. And um, as long as you get off the floor, then we're happier. But ultimately what? We want them to understand why you don't do that. And so when we come to these things with God and, and we realize our behavior is not matching uh, what God wants for us, don't just focus on behavior modification. But like Paul is asking for them or praying for them, grow in knowledge, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. If you're hitting a wall with God, if, if you feel like, man, I'm just not getting it with the Lord right now, and I, and I know that my life isn't where it should be, don't try to just change your behavior. It won't work. You'll just mess up in a different way. But gain knowledge, spiritualism, Dig more into who God is. It's is saying right here that you would know God better and better. Spend time with the Lord. And as you engage Him, as you begin to learn more about who He is, you don't want to do those behaviors anymore. If, if, if Killian could just understand how much disgusting stuff is on the floor, he wouldn't want to roll on the floor anymore. If he just gained that understanding and that knowledge, that takes care of the behavior uh, all, all on its own. And man, if we could just do that, if we could just, when we, when we mess up, when we are struggling with the Lord, if we could just automatically say, you know what? I'm not doing well right now with the Lord. I need to spend more time with Him. I'm not going to worry about my behavior. I need to get away with the Lord, and I need to spend time with Him. This is my prayer for myself, my kids, and, and, and us as a whole, as a whole church, that to live in a way which always honors and pleases the Lord, that that would just come out of the knowledge and understanding we have of the Lord, and that we would produce every kind of good fruit. See, this is another one. How much of the Lord's fruit is being produced in your life? If you can't point to anything that's currently being cultivated or produced, then you've gotten away from the vine and you need to get back. Or you never were connected to the vine and you need to evaluate, do I truly Know Jesus as my Savior. Am I connected to the life-giving vine of Jesus Christ? Because if so, I will automatically produce fruit as I spend time with Him, as I engage with Him, as He fills me with life. I will produce fruit that is congruent with who God is. And I want you to notice, this is uh, one of those things you have to dive real deep into Colossians to truly understand, but notice the similarity to Genesis here with God's initial creation, what were they told to do? Be fruitful and multiply. That was the encouragement um, to, the, uh, to God's initial creation, to Adam and Eve. Um, as they spent their days walking with God in the garden and getting to know Him better and better, that they would automatically produce fruit and that they would multiply and the earth would be filled. But now with God's new creation, as God creates us anew, we are encouraged again to be fruitful as we learn to know God better and better. So Paul is referencing back to this creation idea. Um, And this whole series is about new life, that how everything is new now that we know God, now that we have a relationship with Jesus, everything is new. New, Just as the Colossians needed to to relearn everything, so we need to relearn everything with Christ, that he is the center now, that if we put him in the center, it messes up all of our priorities. It messes up the way we do everything if Jesus becomes the center. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it certainly happened way before my time, and I'm not a, uh, very good with science and all this stuff, so you can correct me later if I'm wrong, not now, uh, but later. But when they changed, like, the North Star, I know that didn't all, it wasn't always the star that we currently use, but it was one previous to that. Um, it changes everything when you move what's supposed to be the, the thing that you regulate everything off of. If they were today to say, you know what, um, all these time zones are really confusing and, uh, we just don't like where the zero time zone is. So let's just move it somewhere else. That's gonna change everything. Because now everything is centered around a different place. And that's what should take place when we come into a relationship with Jesus. Everything needs to change because everything needs to reorient itself to make Jesus the center. The Colossians needed that because their pagan practices were the center. They themselves were the center of everything they knew how to do. So even if it's not necessarily a bad thing or a sinful thing, it still needs to change to reorient to Christ being the center so that we can produce every kind of good fruit. Colossians, uh, verses 11 to 14. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This is a prayer which is still so fitting for us today, for God's people in in the environment that we live in, in the culture that we live in, that we would be strengthened with his power to have all the endurance and the patience that is necessary to be his children. I don't know about you, but there are many days where I look at the news or I just get a, you know, I accidentally see what's going on in the world and uh, I immediately begin to pray, all right, Lord, give me the endurance. Give me the patience to deal with all of this stuff. Or if you're talking to somebody who doesn't have a Christian worldview and they begin to tell you, you know, all these things about their, their viewpoints of the world or of God, and you need endurance and you need patience to live this life out. If you interact with un- unbelieving people uh, regularly, you need endurance and you need patience. If you deal with people who know Jesus all the time, you need endurance and you need patience sometimes. It's a good prayer that we would have his power, his endurance, his patience. But Paul also prays that they would be filled with joy. But he makes it clear that a heart of gratitude is necessary for true joy. Some of us, we don't always experience true joy. And we ask God, you know what, God, why am I not more joyful? You know what, you should do better at that, God. And as we constantly complain, we ask God to fill our hearts with joy. And we don't realize, well, it doesn't really work that way. We need to have a heart of gratitude if we want to have joy. So are you feeling ungrateful? Are you feeling uh, as if God is kind of dropping the ball? Are you just lacking joy? Then begin to count the things that God has done for you. Sit down and write them out, speak them out, pray them out, cry them out, whatever whatever you need, but begin to remember all the ways that God has stepped in and been there. Remember all the things you have to be grateful for, and watch as joy begins to bloom in your heart, because you can't have joy with an ungrateful heart. It's not going to happen. If you're ungrateful, if if we're not happy with the way that the Lord has treated us or what's happening in our life, you're not going to just magically find joy. Joy is a, is a choice. It's, it's something we work toward. That's why... Uh, The the Word of God can command us to be joyful. It doesn't say be happy. Happy is a a byproduct of of a good current situation. Joy is a choice that we go after, that we choose to be joyful. Then Paul goes on to explain, just in case they were having trouble, just how much we have to be grateful for, how much the Colossians had to be grateful for. We share in his inheritance. That's huge. If, if you know somebody who's like insanely wealthy, like a millionaire, and you find out, hey, you get to share in their inheritance, you're probably going to have a moment of happiness as you understand, wow, I get to share in that inheritance. And the Lord's inheritance, man, way better than any kind of financial gain. And we get to share in that inheritance. Paul also reminds them, you've been rescued by God. He loved you enough to rescue you. And He has purchased our freedom and forgiven our sins. Hallelujah! There's a lot to be grateful for. Yeah, your current circumstances might not be amazing. There might be something going on that has you weighed down that is just tough. But man, this is worth being grateful for. And so maybe that's something the Lord has for you this morning is regardless of what it is you're currently going through, begin to recount all of the amazing things the Lord has done for you. And watch as joy begins to happen in your heart. Now remember, as we close, the purpose of the letter to the Colossians was to combat the influence of surrounding pagan religions and Jewish teachers by focusing on Christ, the genuine article. That's the purpose. There are so many false gods around us today which seek to take the place of Christianity or to just offset from jesus as the center just a little bit can you imagine if if you were lost in the middle of the woods and you had a compass that just didn't quite point north and you had a long way to travel and you didn't know that it didn't point to true north you'd be off the farther you walked the farther you'd be off of your, of your destination, of the, the place you were trying to get to because it would be constantly pointing just off-center of where you thought you should be. And so uh, many times we're, we're looking for and, and trying to be aware of these false religions that are like way, way, way off-center. And the enemy is tricking us by just getting us a tiny bit off-center so that Jesus Christ isn't perfectly the center of our life but everything's just a little off-center. He's trying to mix in our past, the old stuff, the beliefs we used to have, selfishness and and uh, self-focus so that we can get just off-center with Jesus. It's still happening today. It was something Paul was writing about to the Colossian church, but it's still just as present today that we're trying to mix Jesus and something else. Jesus and my job. Jesus and my family. Jesus and my own glory. Jesus' kingdom and my kingdom. And it just doesn't work that way. He has to be the center. I think part of the problem that we have with God is instead of spending time and effort learning more about Him and who He is, and as Paul puts it, gaining complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding, instead of doing that, we settle for attending church, hearing about God from others, and developing our own idea of who God is, we create this other God. Because He's not the true God. He's this creation in our mind that mixes a little bit of the truth from the Scripture and a little bit of who we want Him to be. And we create this own God. And then we pride ourselves on the fact that we think about this false God often. Oh, I think about God all the time. Oh yeah, I talk to God a lot. But Paul wrote... Colossians to the Colossians to make it clear how absolutely vital it was to know the true Christ and to worship Him for who He is, to have complete knowledge and understanding about Him and His will. That's the only thing, the only goal He has for them is that their knowledge of Him would be complete. God has done a new thing in us as believers And we cannot use our old methods to live our new life. And when we try, whoo, man, it is frustrating. Some of you have learned that. Some of you are learning it. And some of you are yet to learn it. As we journey with Him and we try to use our old methods, our old coping mechanisms, our our old way of living and trying to put Christ at the center, and sometimes it takes us a while to realize, man, this is just not working. And it's never going to work. I need to learn more about who Jesus is. As we do that, we will need complete knowledge of His will, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. Those are three things. If you want something to pray about this week to ask God for, these are really good things to ask God to give you. As well as, Paul's other three favorite, faith, hope, and love. That everything you do this week would flow from the hope you have in God. When we excel in receiving these from the Holy Spirit, we will excel in our own spiritual lives as well. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for what you are doing in our lives, that you have done a new thing in us as new creations. Everything is made new. Lord, I pray that you would help us to dispel the lies, to remove the stuff that's getting in the way, of us putting you at the center and keeping you as the center, as the thing which everything is based off of, as the cornerstone of our lives. Would you help us to remove all the muddiness and and get rid of all the stuff that gets in the way? Would you help us to remove the old methods, the old habits, the old ways of thinking and and living and, and, and operating? And would we replace it all with who you actually are? Would you impress upon us the the need to learn more about you, to spend more time with you, and to hear your voice? Lord, I pray that you would walk with us this week, that we would, each and every one of us, gain more spiritual understanding of you, of your will, that you would increase our, our knowledge, and would you increase our faith, hope, and love. This week, would we know more who you are and be changed? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you didn't read Colossians 1 last week, continue to read it this week and don't forget to stop at that table in the back with the bracelets from the uh, missionaries. Have a great week.